go rebuild my church, which as you can see, is falling into ruins. These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 AD. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter Doan. And I'm Leslie Doan. And you are listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we will explore ways to put into practice the word spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today. Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 13 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church. You can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to the renewal of the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org. Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate, we can provide pathways for you as individuals, families, as well as parishes to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal with us. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you and catch you up a little bit. We're in the midst of a series that we believe is critical to the rebuilding and renewal of the American Catholic Church. Yes, our series is the call to return to biblical Christianity. And Leslie, we are getting towards the close of this series. We're going to be in Acts chapter 26 today, which has 28 chapters in that book. So we are coming towards our last parts of this series. I know, this is exciting. Yes. So we have been on this exciting journey into the Acts of the Apostles, where we're discovering the characteristics that made the early Christians such a powerful force pulling together the characteristics that made these early Christians such a powerful force, and we're bringing excerpts from the Catechism, bringing together the sacred scripture, the lives of the saints, and the teaching of the church. We're being challenged on how we, too, can start to live as these early Christians did. And we've been following St. Paul now on his third missionary journey. Uh, we've been in the years 53 A.D. to 58 A.D. And we discussed the end of St. Paul's third missionary journey when he arrived at the port city of Miletus. And there he called for the elders at Ephesus to come and be with him. And we saw how this wonderful apostle to the Gentiles gave a powerful and emotional talk to those who were the ordained elders in this apostolic Catholic church. Peter, let's refresh for our listeners some of those key takeaways from our program. Yes, so the Holy Spirit through St. Luke gave us a blueprint on how St. Paul viewed spiritual leadership in the church. He trained these men for three years in Ephesus. And studying this blueprint, we can begin to understand just how St. Paul did train leaders through his discipleship and what his expectations were for these leaders when he released them to their callings and commended them to the grace of God. Well, we discovered something pretty exciting when we looked at the scriptures, that actually there was a literal prayer list that we can pray for our bishops and priests if we dig into his talk with the elders. Isn't that right, Peter? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he first of all shared with them 
he appealed to them to imitate his own life in five key areas, and then he exhorted them as ordained leaders, giving them three specific priorities. Now, St. Paul's model for leadership and his exhortations give us an apostolic vision for building up and rebuilding a holy priesthood. So let's just take a quick moment to review some of those areas and how we can learn to pray more effectively for our priests, because they're facing some pretty intense challenges today. Amen to that. So, yes, first of all, there are five areas in this meeting with these elders where Paul is implicitly appealing to them to look at his life, his leadership, and his example. So let's start out the first thing that he said to them, Leslie. He said that his leadership style was marked by humility, vulnerability, and even marked by tears that he mentioned two times. So this leads us to say that we can pray for our priests, first of all, that they can lead out of humility and vulnerability. Secondly, it says that Paul or Paul told them that he labored as a teacher of the gospel and the kerygma. And through this, Leslie, I've discovered that there's two different proclamations. Paul said that he was teaching these elders by implication. First of proclamation was that he was talking to them about repentance to God and faith in Jesus Christ. And then secondly, he went, said that he went about proclaiming the kingdom of God. So here, first of all, we can pray for our priests that they will proclaim the gospel and share that simple kerygma that Paul did with them on a re, as a regular aspect of their ministry. Thirdly, St. Paul's sacrificial life was focused, as he mentioned, on accomplishing the course and the ministry given to him by Lord, the Lord Jesus. So that translates for us praying for our priests that they would fulfill their calling, giftedness, and ministry. Paul, remember, told Timothy, stir up the gifts that are within you. Fourthly, as I mentioned, Paul in that second proclamation said he went about them preaching the kingdom of God, which is bringing uh, those elders into a place where Jesus ruled and, and was king in every area of their life. So this fourth prayer could be, pray for our priests that they proclaim and lead the faithful into the kingdom of God, where Jesus becomes the ruler of every area of their life. And then finally, Paul made this interesting comment about his example. He said he is innocent of the blood of all of those elders. In other words, he discharged his ministry and was was not holding back anything. So here we pray for our priests to speak truth and righteousness and be examples thereof to the faithful. And after he gave them these five examples from his own godly leadership, he continued by giving them three exhortations, which can also be applied to all Catholic leaders. First of all, he said, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. So let's pray for our priests that they will have the courage to take heed to themselves through regular examination of their conscience. Second, he commended them to God and the word of his grace. So once again, let's pray for our priests that they would be faithful to the deposit of faith that's been entrusted to him, the tradition, the sacred scripture, and the magisterium. Amen. And third, St. Paul said he did not covet others' money and material goods, and he focused on helping the weak. 
So he was reminding them that it was more blessed to give than to receive. So let's pray for our priests to grow in detachment from this material world that surrounds us and to continue to have a heart to help the weak and the poor. So I want to encourage all of our listeners to listen to the podcast from July 15th, which is entitled St. Paul Meets with the Ephesian Elders. And this radio show goes into depth about St. Paul's encounter with the ordained men. And I think we can learn a lot from that on how to pray for our priests. Yes, we can. And that brings us to today's program, where we come to the end of St. Paul's third missionary journey, where he arrives in Jerusalem. And there immediately, he was arrested as a violent crowd, literally, the scripture says, tried to kill him. A Roman tribune came with soldiers, and the crowd stopped beating Paul. And as he headed towards the Roman barracks with the tribune, he asked to address the crowd, and Leslie, there he shared his conversion story. And we've been, as we've been learning, Paul's conversion story is a major sub-theme in the Acts of the Apostles. And today, we're going to get into and look at Paul's conversion story and how that can be a model and a challenge for us to both understand conversion and then uh, give conversion stories ourselves. Well, we're going to take a quick short break, and when we return, we're going to see how conversion was not only a centerpiece in St. Paul's ministry, but also is a focal point in the Catholic Catechism. We're all called to conversion and ongoing conversion. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood, in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Do you sometimes think that nobody prays for you? Does it seem like your concerns and worries aren't shared by anybody else? If so, then put that away. We here at Catholic Radio Indy pray for you, our listeners, every single day. If you have a special prayer request, go to www.catholicradioindy.org and let us know. We lift up our listeners' prayers each morning. It's how we start our workday. Let us pray for you, and may God bless you abundantly. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. In this series, we've been exploring the call to return to biblical Christianity, and we've been learning why the early Christians were described as those who've turned the world upside down. At the end of St. Paul's third missionary journey, he arrived in Jerusalem, and there he was arrested as a violent crowd was trying to kill him. A Roman tribune came with soldiers, and the crowd stopped beating Paul. And as he headed toward the Roman barracks, guess what he did? He asked to address the crowd, and he shares his conversion story. That's pretty amazing. And it's interesting that St. Paul's conversion took place around 32 AD, and now 26 years later, he's still sharing his conversion story. Yeah, in 58 <laughs> AD, he's still that's a still a centerpiece Leslie of his story. Well, as we were preparing for the show, we discovered that the Catechism of the Catholic Church has quite a bit to say about conversion, doesn't it, Peter? Yes, it does. And I discovered in the Catechism a very interesting thing about a truth, I should say, about the sacrament, which we usually call confession or reconciliation. And in the Catechism, it gives, first of all, the name for that sacrament, the sacrament of conversion. Isn't that interesting? I did not know that. And that really opens up a whole way of thinking for me as I approach that confessional in my own personal life. 
But that's what it says, and we're going to go through some of these paragraphs on conversion, and that it was in paragraph number 1423. So, Peter, why is it called the sacrament of conversion? Can you get into that a little well, bit Well, I us? think because in the confessional, both conversion and ongoing conversion is experience when we approach it in a proper disposed way. So let's go on and look at some of the other references in the catechism. In paragraph 1426, it talks about conversion to Christ that comes to us through the new baptism and that we're made holy and without blemish, as it was referred to the churches as well. But it says, nevertheless, the new life received in Christian initiation is not abolishing the frailty and the weakness of our human nature. Right. We still have to battle that. Right. And the, and the scripture, the tradition refers to that, Leslie, as our concupiscence, which remains with the baptized so that with the help of grace of Christ, we can prove themselves ourselves in the struggle of Christian life. So there's a struggle, the catechism says, in conversion. If we're being converted, we're also struggling against that concupiscence. And that's why we all need that ongoing conversion. Yes. The next paragraph, 1427, points out that Jesus calls us to conversion. It's interesting, and they're referring to Mark 1, 14 and 15, that the minute Jesus appears on the scene and the first words out of his mouth in his public ministry is this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The catechism says, in the church's preaching, this call is addressed, first of all, to those who do not know Christ. But then the next paragraph goes on, Leslie, and says, Christ's call to conversion continues to resound in the lives of us Christians. The second conversion that the catechism calls it, a second conversion, is an uninterrupted task for the whole church. And this endeavor of conversion is not just a, a, a human work, but it's a movement of a contrite heart moved by the grace of God. Catechism goes on to talk about Peter's conversion as an example of this second conversion. Right, and we don't think of Peter as this being a conversion experience, but it actually was. Yes, and the catechism said Peter, after he denied the master three times, gave a witness to this. Jesus came out of his infinite mercy and drew tears of repentance from the apostle after the Lord's resurrection, and then there were those three affirmations, Peter, do you love me, in the book of John. In fact, St. Ambrose, the catechism tells us, says that there's two conversions that take place in the church. There was one of water and tears, the water of baptism, and then the tears of repentance. And once again, that's when we have that contrite heart and we're struggling daily in our conversion. Yes, I think this next point, Leslie, is really important in the Catechism, and it says in 1431 that there is an interior repentance. In other words, repentance starts from the inside and then goes out. So the outward forms of repentance that the church teaches us that we highlight during Lent is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, right? Those are outward expressions of repentance. But the catechism teaches us that we don't start with that if we don't have interior repentance. Repentance and conversion starts within. 
And then finally, the last part in that section in the catechism says this, the human heart is heavy and hardened. God must give man a new heart. And that was a promise in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. It said that there would be a day when there was a new covenant where God would write the laws of his commandment on our hearts. So conversion is, first of all, in and comes from our hearts. It makes our hearts return to him. Yes, exactly. So it looks like both Jesus and the gospel and our catechism make it clear that conversion is the first step step all of us must take in order to enter the kingdom of God. And rather than conversion just being some kind of a sidebar to our spiritual journey that might happen, might not happen, conversion shows itself in the very foundation of a heart that is set towards the Lord. So it's, it's pretty important, isn't it, yes. Peter? Yes. You know, I know uh, for several years, every time we took a summer vacation, Leslie, I took uh, St. Augustine's book with us, The Confessions. And I so love that book because one of the overall themes there is the power of conversion and how conversion just can radically change us and really overcome some of that concupiscence that we all carry as a result of the fall that I had mentioned earlier. And I think the catechism also shows us that conversion is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process in which we are called to respond to the Holy Spirit and be open to his transforming power to change and become more like Jesus. And I think that's what we all want. So I'm guessing that conversion could even take us up to our last breath in this life. Is that right? I think so. Is that so. what we're trying to look at here today? I think so. Okay. Well, we're going to take another short break, and when we return, we'll discuss how St. Paul made his conversion story and the circumstances that surround his conversion a centerpiece of his ministry. So please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. Today, we're continuing our series, The Call to Rebuild the Church Here in America Through the Restoration of Biblical Christianity. And we're talking about conversion today, which is a pretty exciting topic mm -hmm. and deep top topic. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in our last segment, we discussed how the catechism teaches that conversion is foundational to who we are as Catholic Christians. We saw that true conversion creates changed hearts and lives in the people of God. Jesus presents conversion as a first step of entrance into the kingdom of God, so it's pretty important. We can't even get in without conversion. That's right. In the mm -hmm. Acts of the Apostles, now we're going to look at three times when St. Paul's conversion story is told. So St. Paul's conversion story is a model for us for demonstrating the power in telling our conversion story. And let's take some time to delve in to his very example. And it's interesting, the first 
reality is what the church tells us how important his conversion is, is that on every January 25th, we celebrate the feast, not just of St. Paul, but the conversion of St. Paul every January 25th. So I think this is important because this is implicitly telling us that our mother, the church, is saying, look at his conversion and don't treat it just as an historical fact, but learn from it. And that's what we're going to try to do here today. I think that's good stuff. Yeah. So in Acts chapter 9, first of all, is a powerful section in Scripture where the Holy Spirit, through St. Luke, recounts the very details of what happened on that road to Damascus. So that's the first account. That's right. And then following in the Acts of the Apostles, there are two recorded instances that we've alluded to, also one of them, where Paul tells his conversion story, that first one that we mentioned in Acts 22, where he goes to Jerusalem and there's a riot and they're trying to tear Paul apart. And then, but there's a second time he tells his story in Acts 26 before the king Agrippa. And I think at this point, it's very important to note that Paul tells us throughout his writings in the New Testament to imitate him as he imitates Christ. So as we look at his conversion, we want to look at how we can imitate him in our own conversion story. But that's going to be down the road where we talk more about that. When we learn how to communicate the gospel in our own words and our own experience, the power of the Holy Spirit will be released in our conversion story, just like it was in St. Paul's. So in that first account in Acts 9 that I just mentioned, narrated Paul's conversion as it actually happened. Let's, let's think about that. It's such a beautiful story. It's good to recount it regularly. While en route to Damascus to arrest the Christians, Paul and his companions suddenly saw a great light. They all fell to the ground and heard Jesus' voice asking Paul. Paul heard him saying, why are you persecuting me? And that voice then told him what to do. That's the first account. That second account then in Acts 22 uh, is him giving his conversion story, but there's different pieces that he's giving. He, first of all, described his testimony before the Jews, and during that part of the story, he told them, and he mentioned to them, yes, he was a Jew, he was raised in the diaspora, but brought up and educated under the famous Jewish teacher Gamaliel. He made that point to them. Right. The point of all of his religious credentials. Yeah. And people with uh, commentators would say that he recounted his zeal in persecuting Christians and his mission to Damascus. And because what he was trying to do was to have them identify the fact that he was a strong, committed, believing Jew. Then the third account is in Acts 26, which is significantly different from the other two, because here Paul describes him persecuting Christians in greater detail. He added details about the encounter on the road, including Jesus saying to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That was interesting. That was a new thought. In other words, it was useless for him to fight against God's will. In this account, Jesus told Paul that he was chosen by God and that he would bring the gospel to the Gentiles. All of this, Leslie, was in great detail. Okay, Peter. So what do we learn from these three different accounts? 
Okay, so first of all, depending on the purpose of telling the story and the audience that will hear it, Leslie, St. Paul chose to emphasize different aspects of his conversion story. In the first one, as I mentioned, he tells the story because it was going, St. Luke records it because it will be told to the early church to emphasize how the chief of sinners could be converted and his powerful encounter with living for Christ. So let's apply this to ourselves. Let's think about our own conversion stories and think about a time maybe when you've encountered the living Christ and heard his voice. And after that, your life took a totally new direction. Jesus told you what to do and you changed course in your life. And of course, I'm thinking of the patron of our uh, radio program here, Leslie St. Francis, heard the voice of God from the crucifix at San Damiano, and that changed everything for him. That's right. So then in the next conversion in chapter 22, emphasizes Paul's Jewish roots and the faithfulness to the law and referred to God as his fathers. Right. He mistakenly thought he was doing all the right things as a devout Jew, and now he yearned for his Jewish accusers to see that Jesus is their Messiah. Mm -hmm. So when I read this, I reflected on my own upbringing and how I faithfully attended church and received the sacraments, but that wasn't all the Lord had for me. He wanted to turn the lights on. He wanted me to embrace Jesus as my own Messiah and not just be going through all the motions of the faith. Yes, and I've mentioned before my father's uh, experience, he was deeply involved in the church, but then he had a point of major contact and commitment and encounter with Jesus Christ that really changed him 180 degrees in his life. Then finally, in Paul's conversion story to Agrippa Leslie, we see that that's a small audience. He's only speaking one-on-one with Agrippa, and his testimony is more personal. His conversion story is very personal. Right. This is where he adds the details and said that um, the Lord spoke to him and said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I think we can all relate to this in our own conversion stories that Was there a time when we realized we were kicking against the goads? We were resisting the will of God in our lives, and God was calling us to make a change. And certainly in my upbringing, when I was in college, I was kicking against the goads of my Catholic upbringing, but God was faithful, and he came out to get me. Right. So we can all relate in some way to Paul's conversion stories, can't we? We we certainly can. So... Uh, Next week, we are going to share the tools of how each of us can write our conversion story and be equipped to give it on all the different circumstances of our life as we've seen today in St. Paul's circumstances. So next week, we're going to give you those tools. But as we do that, let's stop and pray today and ask God to help us in our own conversion and those those that we love. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you for the example of St. Paul. We thank you for coming out to get him, to choose him, and to change him. And what a beautiful example he is, not only of his conversion, but how we use that conversion to win others to you. Help us, Lord, first of all, to be converted and accept our ongoing conversion and walk in that and then help us as we go on to learn how to give our conversion story to others and to share this good news in jesus name amen amen in the name of the father son holy spirit amen well thank you listeners for joining us today as we seek to connect individuals 
families, and parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. If you'd like to hear our past programs, go to thecatholicradioindy.org, and you can access all previous broadcasts through the podcast tab on the webpage. You can also download the Catholic Radio Indy app from your app store and just listen 24-7. And make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye for now, and keep keep the the faith. You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradioindy.org.